We are continuing our time through the book of Acts this morning. We're in Acts chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 24. It is not unusual for me to receive quests for financial aid or some form of support from some Christian group in foreign lands claiming that great works of God were taking place there. On one hand, there's the desire to rejoice. On the other hand, there is a need to investigate. Investigate the reality and the truth of the claim. Just like when you get that email from Nigeria and the fellow says, I'm going to send you a million dollars because I've been given 10 and I don't know what to do with them all. So just send me your bank account number and I will make a, a donation to your bank account followed by a great withdrawal. And we can look in our own country and we see what seems to be movements. Movements among evangelicalism or amongst what is sometimes called the church. There's one true church. We, we uh, gave witness to that in the Nicene Creed. But there is one of the biggest gatherings in the whole of the country. It's uh, located in Marietta, Georgia. And I think it has three satellite churches, which always makes me think of the Jetsons for some reason. I don't know why. And it is uh, headed up by uh, Andy Stanley, who is the son of Charles Stanley. They claim a membership of nearly 50,000. But upon investigation, one quickly finds that it's led by a man who, rather than preach the truth, subverts it causing it to be truly a, a synagogue of Satan. When he's asked, well, aren't these things in the Bible, he would say things like, well, no, it's John's con contribution, but he will not say that the Bible is truly the word of God, and he has done his best to take away the authority and inerrancy of Scripture, so when we see 50,000 people, we're tempted in some ways to say, isn't this great until we see what's leading them? And so investigation is always, always necessary. So when news came to the mother church in Jerusalem of the spread of the gospel to different areas, where particularly there were Greek-speaking Jews who were converted and Gentiles having the light of the truth pierced their darkness. As we saw last week in verse 20, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them. And great number believed and turned to the Lord. So that a great conversion of sinners was taking place and there needed to be an investigation. What is going on? And this was prudent. 
Is this real? And if it is, how is it that we might help? For the church in Jerusalem had previously heard of the gospel going to the Samaritans, and they sent Peter and John to investigate it. Now in the work among the Greeks, they found it prudent to send not this time, not one of the apostles, but to send a fellow Greek, a trusted man named Barnabas. In verse 22, then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas as far to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. For the most part, this must have been very encouraging to the church in Jerusalem. That church was under such pressure at that time. Dealing with persecutions, having not too far gone recently the death of, of Stephen. So they're dealing with persecutions. And then they, were, they had lost so many due to the dispersion after one of their own was martyred. So it, it was still an anchor church, if you will. Solid records exist of the church and its leadership till the 500s AD, until the Jerusalem was overrun by the Turks and Muslims. There seemed to be no need of discussion as to who they should send to to check things out and help where needed. That one that they called to do it was a man named Barnabas. We first read of him in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verses 36 and, and 37. And we see him there bringing in the proceeds from a piece of land that he had sold. And Joseph, or Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement or comfort, a Levite, so he was a Jew of the country of Cyprus, and he was of the priestly line, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The King James has uh, whom the apostles had surnamed Barnabas. So it, it was like he was set up as Joseph Barnabas. And Barnabas being like his last name, but that became the name by which he would be known by. And I think that was not only a good description of, of who he was and, and how he carried himself, but also in that time, I would think the name John was being used quite a bit. So if he said, hey, John, there's probably about 20 people would turn and look and say, yes. And, well, hey, James. And then you have about the same thing going on. And so uh, as we look through, we don't find anybody else named Barnabas. So when you said the name Barnabas, you said not only a lot, but you would draw the attention of one person. He was surnamed so by the apostles. They had seen his work. They had seen 
how he was amongst the people. And we see him again in chapter 9 and, and in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus has come following his conversion, seeking an interview and fellowship with the disciples, but they were afraid of him. So Barnabas, putting his own reputation on the line, in verse 27 of chapter 9, but Barnabas took him as Paul and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas gave Paul that opportunity to come before uh, the disciples, the apostles, and give an account of what God had done to him and through him. Now this man Barnabas, a man full of faith, man full of faith means that he trusted in the power of God. And in the power of God in others' lives as well. So first I want this morning to take a look at the description that is given of him. And that's verse 24. We find three things in chapter 11. He was a good man. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So there are three things that we can look at. Perhaps the second one is so closely rela related to the third one that there's, there's not a gap there. But he was a good man. He was full of Holy Spirit. And because of that faith, the grace of God was at work in his soul. Those in Jerusalem had referred to him as the man who lives up to this name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he will stand out among all believers. It says he was a good man. Now we must understand what is meant by that. It's meant horizontally. Compared to others around him, he was a good man. If you told him, how about in comparison to God, he would say, I'm a wretch. But in comparison to others around him, he was a good man. Horizontally, viewing across the sea of humanity, he was a good man. He did good works. He was charitable. He was generous. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was gifted. And perhaps several gifts of the Spirit at work. And one of the major gifts that he had was the ability to proclaim the truth. For he was used by God to bring many into the church. After the description of his character in verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We could say another great gift was that of being able to encourage others. And that is a, a very rare and needed gift in so many ways especially in the ever-darkening culture that is surround us, surrounding us, where it seems like the big sport of the day is to tear down rather than to bear up, build up. But encouragement is more than motivational pep talks, pumping people up. 
like the man on that uh, exercise thing that looked like a couple of skis and you'd, he'd pull it with his poles and, and he would get it moving real fast and he would tell everybody else, you can do it. You can do it. Now, to be an encouragement, certainly it can mean a lifting up of the downcast. But it's not just being Mr. Positive. We are told in verse 24 that a great many people were added to the Lord by the means of Barnabas through the ministry and exercising of his gifts. Well, how could he be Mr. Positive in the beginning of a presentation of why they would need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He would make it clear that all of them were sinners. Sinners who could not save themselves but needed a Savior. And then he would point them to that. But see, so many people would say, well, that's so negative. But you have to have the negative to get to the positive. If you just stopped with the negative and said, you're all a mess and walked away, that's one thing. But he brought them to the place of reality, and, and that's an encouragement in many ways, to bring people to a point of reality. Because it seems there's so much giving over to this idea of, well, whatever you think you are, that's what you are. To encourage and say, no, you're not. You may think you're a chicken, but you're not, regardless of the eggs that you laid in the kitchen. Just because someone thinks that they're something doesn't mean they, they truly are that which they think. And the gospel brings us down to a reality. The truth hits hard in the beginning, but then the truth of redemption brings us up from that pit. Noah was an encourager. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he is described as a preacher of righteousness. In the midst of the lewdness and corruption and depravity around him, as he built, he preached. He preached righteousness. You could see him standing on the deck of the ship, which the ark, which was a symbol of Christ. And his message was probably not much different from that of Peter in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And some think of preaching as a form of condemning. And there are those who are very abusive as far as that goes. But to point people away from destruction and to safety is to encourage them to do the right and necessary thing. To encourage and to exhort are quite strongly tied together. Even if you are trying to lift up, to encourage someone who is down, you're attempting to move them from one place, emotionally perhaps, to another. 
to encourage, well, you see right there, in encourage, to inspire with courage, hope or spirit, to attempt to persuade, to urge people. All fall under that category of encouragement. So it's very similar to exhorting people. Another thing about Barnabas was he's quite a magnanimous man. He's happy to see the work of the Lord, even if it wasn't involving him at that time. So in verse 23, chapter 11, we read, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. He saw what was happening was real and genuine and had come about on the Lord's use of gifts that he had given to other men. It wasn't like Barnabas coming in and they were giving a great round of applause. Oh, we've heard great things about you and, and all that. He was in the background looking at what was taking place and thanking God for it. What mattered to him was that there were souls that had been saved. We can see other things similar to that in times similar to that in Mark chapter 2 and verse 5. In this situation, you have a man who is paralyzed, completely paralyzed, so much that he has to be carried on a bed by those who are his four men who are probably friends of his. They wanted to bring him to Jesus, but the crowd was so big that they couldn't reach him. So through an opening in the roof, they lowered him down to where Jesus was. In verse 5 of Mark chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he didn't ask, Where did you learn this? Who told you that this was the place that you were to come? He didn't ask about that. He just saw it and he rejoiced in it. In his humanity, he rejoiced in seeing the faith that was put on display. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, we'll begin at verse 3. Paul says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Giving thanks to God. Well, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for the saints. See, it's not because you followed what we taught. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit and is also among you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul is 
magnanimous about this. It means he is so happy to see what's going on in the church in Colossae, even though he had nothing to do with it. He rejoiced in, in what was going on. And of course, uh, we can go to Third John. Verse 4 of Third John. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. What brought that on? He said, well, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. So he considered all of them his children, but yet they were brought to that truth used by God. Not John. But he heard of it, and he rejoiced in it. Well, as we go back to Acts chapter 11, we've seen the kind of man that he is. Let's look at then what he did. What did Barnabas do in light of what he saw? Well, in verse 23 of chapter 11, when he came and had seen the grace of God and was glad, he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. He encouraged them, exhorted them that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. The same kind of idea that Moses used in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Moses encouraged the people. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and to him hold fast. Whereas the King James has clave, cleave unto him, cleave unto him. Joshua in chapter 22 and verse 5 would basically say the very same, same thing. Now, that sounds like a command. But a command can be an exhortation and it can be an encouragement because we're not going to encourage or command people to do something they cannot do. I'm not going to call upon them to do things that are impossible. Impossible in the flesh, perhaps, but not in the spirit. Jesus exhorted, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now you listen to words like that and you say, I'm not really encouraged because I can I take up my cross daily and follow him. Well, no, not in your strength. But you can in the grace of God. And these words are encouraging. And they're encouraging because he's revealing his will to us. And in following the will of God, there is joy. Joy in the Lord. In doing the right thing, there is joy. There's a couple other places where exhortations and encouragements blend together. If we turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, cleave the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Not asking people to do impossible things, yes, perhaps in the flesh, in the unredeemed heart and mind, these things are impossible, but by the power of the Spirit, these things are ours that we can do. And then in Second Peter chapter 3, Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. That's an encouragement. He's saying, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying to us? It's something that can be done. You are able by grace through the Spirit of God to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, there's great joy because to know the more we know Christ, the more beautiful he is, the more confidence we have in, uh, in the faith that we have in him. Because we have been, able, been enabled by the Spirit of God, that same Spirit that opens our eyes, our ears, and our minds to receive the gospel. And this is what brought great joy to Barnabas. He was glad. Why? Because he had seen the grace of God. He could see it in the speech, in the behavior, in the love of the people. Now how I pray that this would be the case in this church and for all our churches in our association. For each one of us individually that the love of Christ would so fill our hearts that it would be evident. It's easy when we see the same people each Sunday and some in the middle of the week. It's easy to see. It's like photographs. 
one of the high schools I attended is having a 50th reunion. When I left that school, they all looked the same in my memory. But seeing now with the pictures of those who already have signed up to come to the reunion, they don't look the same. It's been years. So since I haven't been with them every day, I haven't seen the changes. It's easy for us as believers gathered together in this one place each and every Lord's Day. We're seeing each other basically every week. We don't see physical changes. We don't really see ourselves aging. It takes pictures from years ago to cause us to see that. Well, the same way with our, our growth and grace. It may not be amazingly evident and you can't walk in each week and, and look at uh, one of the others and look at Brian and say, Brian, you've sure grown in the Lord over the last week. Because it's incremental. We don't wave a magic wand and people become Christ-like all of a sudden. Step by step by step. And so we might even tend to get a little bit discouraged. Because we don't see growth in others in big leaps and bounds. And perhaps it's not being observed by ourselves in ourselves. And that's why that's why Barnabas, after he had encouraged them. He encouraged them further that they should continue with the Lord. They were already showing these great signs, continue with the Lord because you're not there. The encouragement is growth is, is available. It can and should happen. But it's interesting that he, when he said that they should continue with the Lord, used the same word that Moses used, that they should cleave unto the Lord, to hold fast unto him. The world around us is a shipwreck. Shipwreck, it's a shipwreck because of sin. The world throws out to us a toothpick by which no one can be held up, no one can be saved. The Lord Christ gives us the lifeboat where there's always safety. Why would we cleave to the world when we can cleave unto him and be safe? Let's stand together for prayer.